Well, at this point, it's impossible to estimate the direct cost to automakers. But what we do know is that over $2 billion in cross-border trade was affected by this blockade. The Ambassador Bridge is responsible for 25% of Canada's trade with the United States. And as a result, this led to production disruptions at facilities, not just in Canada, but the United States as well, with impacts on thousands of people in the industry. So the costs were significant to the Canadian economy and to the broader automotive industry. What's particularly damaging is this comes at a time where the industry is already recovering from pandemic-related shortages and semiconductor shortages that have had a big impact on production. We saw a major decline in production in 2020 across North America. Uh, there has been uh, you know, largely flat production again in 2021, and we're not likely to see a return to full production uh, pre-pandemic levels until 2023. So this couldn't have been uh, a worse time for a disruption of like, like this to come and impact the industry. I'm confident that they will be able to get back to uh, normal operations quickly. The auto industry is really best in class when it comes to managing an efficient and reliable supply chain, even during the, uh, the border blockade. Um, uh, every effort was being made to use other border crossings to get parts to facilities and to keep operations uh, as um, productive as possible during a very challenging time. So it will take some time to get back to full operation, but uh, I'm, I'm confident that that will happen relatively quickly. That said, this all depends on the border remaining open. Another uh, blockade would be extremely damaging. We've already seen attempts uh, that were foiled yesterday um, by police uh, to uh, by another group that was attempting to uh, return to the bridge and block it. So it's really important uh, that government has a keen eye on this and ensures that there are no more disruptions um, because it, it would be extremely damaging coming on the heels of what we've just uh, come through. So in short, the answer is no. This is a, a one-off event, um, impossible to predict, uh, and frankly could happen anywhere. That said, we have to be very careful about our image that uh, global investors have of Canada, and we need to be more serious about protecting our trade infrastructure. We've got a lot of good things going for us. You mentioned the fact that we've seen some major new commitments uh, for General Motors and Stellantis investing $6 billion into Ontario over the last couple of years. But if we don't take our trade infrastructure seriously and put in place measures to make sure that it is resilient and reliable, it could become a problem. And, you know, this was a, a one-off event. Recall back in 2020, we had a strike at the Port of Montreal, which led to disruptions throughout the supply chain. Canada has a, we're, we're a massive country spread out with the population spread out largely uh, close to the Canada-US border with a couple of very pivotal points in the supply chain where a huge amount of trade flows. So we need to take a hard look at that and ensure that we've got some resiliency there, some other um, uh, ports 
other ways to move product in the event these types of uh, uh, events happen again in the future. So I'm confident that we continue to have a very strong case to make for, uh, for new auto investment and auto assembly. But I hope this underlines how seriously we need to take our trade infrastructure. So the, the, what became very evident uh, during the uh, Ambassador Bridge closure was that we haven't um, uh, exercised our ability to engage with the United States on critical border infrastructure issues. You'll recall post-9-11, uh, when the Canada-U.S. border was closed, it triggered a whole new set of work and engagement with the United States on securing the Canada-U.S. border. You had the Manly Ridge Commission that did a huge amount of work on this to ensure that the border could be reopened and done so in a safe way. And I think what this past uh, couple of weeks has exposed is that we don't have that level of engagement with the United States that we have in the past. So recommendation number one here is let's work more closely with the Americans to take an assessment of our cross-border trade infrastructure, identify those vulnerabilities, and make sure that we've got plans and protocols in place to deal with situations like this. Secondly, is we need more trade infrastructure. That's just a given. The Gordie Howe Bridge uh, is scheduled to open in 2024. That will obviously be uh, a, huge, um, a huge benefit to not just the auto industry, but uh, trade writ large. But where else do we have uh, potential um, uh, challenges with respect to our trade infrastructure? Uh, I would argue that we, we could have more investments made into port uh, infrastructure to handle vehicle onloading and offloading, as an example. So there are some vulnerabilities in areas where we just simply don't have enough capacity. I hope this crisis focuses the mind of policymakers on this issue, and we see more engagement with the Americans and more investment into our trade infrastructure. Yes, I think so. Um, and it's unfortunate that that's the reality, but uh, here we are. Um, you know, I mentioned that there was uh, a strike at the Port of Montreal uh, in 2020. Um, you know, when that occurred, we saw all sorts of efforts by um, OEM suppliers, uh, logistics companies, shippers to find a way to move product despite having uh, an extremely important East Coast port uh, effectively closed. So there is a lot of experience in the industry in terms of dealing with supply chain challenges and disruptions. Uh, and, you know, I'd argue that auto is best in class when it comes to um, finding ways to, uh, to ship product and do it efficiently and quickly in very challenging circumstances. So um, I, I think the industry is uh, well positioned to deal with these sorts of issues. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I hope that this isn't something that we're going to have to deal with again.
Well, you know, my friends in Washington have all kind of uh, reached out uh, a little bit incredulous, uh, also a little bit sympathetic because, of course, uh, they had, uh, they've had their share of uh, craziness, uh, January 6th uh, uh, type of behavior. You know, the, the, the concern here is that, um, you know, this isn't going to switch anybody from open borders and open procurement to closed procurements. You know, we still have our allies and our allies are our allies. But our opponents are emboldened. And they've got, with this crazy Ambassador Bridge blockade, um, a free extra card to play. And that's not how you play poker. Uh, but, you know, th 30 pickup trucks uh, and some brainless resolve has given our opponents uh, uh, an upper hand in something that is very important to the regional economy. You know, I start with the analogy that this is a case study and not a cancer. And so, you know, w what did we learn in this? Uh, what is, uh, what were some of the positives in our response? It's that uh, the Canadian court system uh, works. The law, even if it's not uh, enforced quickly on the ground in this scenario, was very clear in, uh, in uh, whether people can... Uh, cause immediate damage to an industry. And that the industry was able to leverage uh, a court order that stopped it uh, gives me uh, some comfort in being able to explain to people that we do have a role uh, and it's a positive one in uh, making sure that it doesn't happen again. The case study is uh, that, um, look, in Canada, we have our fair share of... Um, of uh, people who are uh, radicalized uh, in anti-government uh, actions and behaviors. and uh, But we've got now a body of work in how to handle it. You know, I, I, I worry that that is not a persuasive argument, especially with people who are used to that type of radicalization on the other side who say, hmm, you know what, January 6th, uh, wasn't a case study. We deal with this on a regular basis. I'm hoping that by the time I get to Washington next, which is probably in the next week or two, uh, we'll have some clarity from the federal government on uh, plans, uh, not just to, to clean up the emergency, but how we might uh, avoid uh, the takeover of critical infrastructure in the future.
we knew that it was incredibly important, uh, you know, 20 years ago to have a second access, uh, especially with the bottlenecks caused uh, in the wake of 9-11. The federal government knew how important it was, the Canadian federal government, when the Americans, uh, Michigan and uh, Lansing and Washington said they didn't have the money to complete it. And so the Canadian federal government lent uh, the U.S., uh, the money to build their side and finance it back. We'll finance it back through uh, usage. It is, you know, Brian. You know, Brian represents three companies that are uh, uh, headquartered just on the other side of that bridge. They especially need the comfort of a second access point as they uh, sell to their shareholders, to their partners around the world. That Detroit is. A great place to do business. And Detroit relies on Windsor access. It is, you know, from, you know, I'll take the Toronto perspective and, and you know, maybe it's different uh, from the inside looking out. But from the outside looking in, that's one city for us. And <clears throat> from an industry perspective, it's one city for us. And so Brian is expressing uh, the, the satisfaction of, you know, General Motors, Ford and Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Stellantis. And uh, you you couldn't understate its importance, and I wish it was up right now. You know, we live in a gotcha era, you know, a soundbite tweet era. And and I think that everybody's looking for that really short piece on, you know, did the police get it right and did government get it right? I think that we're going to be studying this uh, in criminology courses, uh, in sustainable uh, geography courses, uh, in history courses forever. It's a nuanced answer. You know, I, I, I try to put myself in the shoes of law enforcement uh, two weeks ago when, uh, when you go to work, uh, you're... Your number one mission is to serve and protect. And so you've got this interruption on a road that also happens to uh, be the one that uh, that uh, provides access to the bridge. Uh, people who may or may not be belligerent, delinquent, uh, may be unsafe. And so it probably that, you know, a lot of us were frustrated that in the first couple of days, uh, law enforcement didn't move in. But, you know, to be fair to them, you know, they're not the the Windsor Police Services in this example is not the uh, is not responsible for international trade and is not responsible for the lost uh, potential lost uh, uh, work orders and purchase orders. Uh, you know, the government, uh, together with the judicial system, uh, provided a pretty swift uh, response. And now, of course, we've seen the Emergencies Act uh, uh, brought in by Ottawa for probably the situation in Ottawa and other border crossings. You know, could they have done better? I mean, I'm a layman. And I think uh, in Windsor, I, I you know, the the, the 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 group of officials that came together on this, including the private sector, did what we could in an unprecedented situation. Uh, we won't get the grace, if it happens again, of, well, I'm not sure what to do right now. 
uh, because we know what to do right now. Always a pleasure, sir. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Brian and Flavio for appearing on the show today. If you'd like to be a guest, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of the Automotive News Canada podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.